Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sorry, Mr. Street. Did you ever look at someone else and think if only you had their life, you'd have it all? Look at how cool this is. Signed by all five band members of Soul of Detroit. You know what the sickest thing is about you, Sean? You fantasize about being ML Elric. Singing somebody else's songs. Oh, maybe if I get really lucky, I'll get to grow up and listen to air supply. You answer the rock I think that little bit of production cut off just before Mark Wahlberg's movie brothers says, what's wrong with Air Supply? <laughs> My mom's favorite band. Where do we start with that one? I think we just leave that one on the table. And and I've never seen Rockstar, but I love that his brother oh, was movie. Adam Sandler's rival in um, in uh, The Wedding Singer with the greatest line ever. Yeah. He's like, Glenn Gulia. That's funny. <laughs> what's funny about it? It's like, uh, ne- never mind, never mind. <laughs> But hey, kids, it is your old pal M.L. Elric here with a, a very special guest who is a rock star, was a rock star, and uh, and has some mixed feelings about that. Um, he has played a role in the fate of this show. He doesn't know that, but we're about, <laughs> we're about to explain that because a couple of years ago, well, maybe five years ago now, when I was a reporter at Fox 2 and this show was just launching, we had an episode about our guilty pleasures and i've always been known as kind of a new wave guy and my brother was a hard rock guy in fact uh i'm going to tell our guest what what they have in common which is another weird little story but i always used to tease my brother for being big on judas priest and iron maiden and all this nice, other stuff nice. but my guilty I, pleasure and I, knew I liked your brother more that well you know he is he is the more talented one <laughs> not your guilty pleasure your pleasure well, it was both a guilty pleasure and a pleasure because I think my brother would have said, you know, wait a minute, you gave me a hard time about my music all the time, but my guilty pleasure was Canadian metal. And of course, there's nobody better in Canadian metal or for my money, metal in general than, than Triumph. And of course, I, I love Rush too, but I never <laughs> put them in the, in the metal category. So after that episode aired, some of our other guilty pleasures, I think, upset my bosses at Fox 2 and this show was put on hiatus and i subsequently left fox too for creative differences we were suspended because of triumph 
we, of. we were kind we of. were suspended because of triumph so we've brought on a Just, gentleman which is very rock and roll Yes, he, we, we brought on a gentleman to atone for his unknown sins, and that is Rick Emmett of Triumph, who joins us to talk about his new biography, to talk about, well, more than just Triumph, but life in general, because it's the kind of rock biography that you haven't seen before. Most of them start with the tales of destruction, depravity, and everything else. You're 78 pages into this book before the word triumph almost gets more than a passing reference. It's a, it's a very deep book. It's a very thoughtful book. It's a very introspective book. And all this conversation is brought to you by Luke Nuwaki of Pinnacle Wealth Strategies, who will help you set up a good retirement so that if you want to have a room full of guitars like Rick Emmett. Oh, my God. I know that room. Wow. You, you can do that. If you want to live like <laughs> a rock star in your retirement, Luke will help make that happen. We're also brought to you by the Michigan Peddler. Summer's over, but the fall fun is still going. So if you want to hit a pedal bar in downtown Detroit, Corktown and Midtown, check out Michigan Peddler. We'll tell you how to get some free swag by hooking up with them. And of course, the Cadu Cafe, where live music, great times, great food are always the law. So you have to check out the Cadu Cafe. We'll tell you what's going on there later in our new music segment, or our new wave music segment. And this week's new wave music song once again, we're going to blame Rick Emmett for this, <laughs> is uh, a song that he references in his book, one of his, one of his favorite pieces oh, okay. of music, as a matter of fact. So that's quite a buildup, and we've made him wait a long time. But Rick Emmett is someone who, uh, I guess you could say, fights a good fight, but his book is called Lay It on the Line. <laughs> it is uh, a great read, a backstage pass to rock star adventure, conflict, and of course, triumph. Rick, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, uh, it's nice to be here and we get a chance to talk to you boys. Detroit boys. Yeah, yeah. all good. Well, Rick has a lot of connections to Detroit. Uh, for those of you who didn't know it, when he lists in the book some of his favorite gigs, he lists Cobo Hall yeah. and Joe Lewis Arena. Um, a couple other connections there. He's a big fan of Kenny Burrell. And if you don't know anything about jazz, Kenny Burrell is one of the great guitar players in all of jazz. He's a Detroit guy. And when you listen to all that crap that they put on the radio at Christmas, my favorite things... What? What are you, anti-Christmas? Well, no, I mean, it's the same old stuff over and over again. Wait a minute, that sounds like a triumph lyric. But it, <laughs> Kenny Burrell does a Christmas tune. My favorite things from uh, The Sound of Music. Whatever. It's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever hear over the Christmas holidays. Unfortunately, you won't hear it on commercial radio. One last connection to Michigan between... Rick, uh, his son played baseball for Central Michigan oh, wow. University, and he sang the anthem before Central's game at Comerica Park against what he calls in the book the University of Michigan Spartans. Now, oh, I'm a Michigan State Spartan, and and Mark is a Michigan Wolverine, so we may need to we may need to oh, chew on that. He one combined a bit. best of both worlds. I'd like to think of it that way too. So a lot of, lot of cross-border pollination here with Rick. And, uh, and before the show, speaking of places that you've played, Rick, we were talking about Harpo's. Like what, what stands out to you about Harpo's on the east side of Detroit? Because that, that was a wild, wild venue. It was. I remember you had to get an, a, a, an escort to bring you from the parking lot. Like <laughs> you had to let them know, yeah, we're in the parking lot. And they would send out sort of guys to, you know, walk in and, and, uh, yeah, it was wild. Um, <laughs> it was dangerous. Now, I remember the, the dressing room there was kind of like it was upstairs, up yep. behind the stage kind of, so that when you were coming on stage, you, you came down this sort of fire escape towards the stage. 
And uh, yeah, that was like after I'd left Triumph, I would come back to Detroit. Like Triumph had always been very big there. So th there would always be offers for gigs and Harpo's was one. I, I played summertime things too. I, I played an outdoor thing once, um, like kind of right downtown, right by the river. Okay. It was like a, a, a city square kind of a thing. And uh, and a guy got stabbed right in front of the stage and got murdered, like literally got murdered at my gig. And they brought the body back into the green room. Uh, so, you know, here were the bands. And there were, it was like one of those things where there's bands all day, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah and, and so there was bands that had already played and bands that were going to go on after me and then our, my band. And we're standing around and they literally... They they brought this 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 you know bleeding body into this and we're going like, okay, this is a, <laughs> a little bit strange. This is this is weird. Anyhow, yeah, you know what's a weird <laughs> thing about Detroit too? Like what we we went you know as I said you, you mentioned um, we played uh, it was the Royal Oak was the first place we played in Detroit. Then we played Kobo. Then we played Joe Louis. And you know Joe Louis they knocked it down like. I was we play, we were one of the first bands that ever played the, the the hockey rink, and now they've torn it down and built another one. And you go, okay, yep. I must be getting old. <laughs> yeah, now it's apartment buildings. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. no. Well, I, and I I think I think you reference this in the book is the bands come and go, but the millionaires still own the venues and whatever's been playing there for the people who own them. It's it's just another another paycheck, another night, and that's what happened with Joe Los Arena. The the billionaires who own the hockey team figured they could squeeze a few more shekels out of the punters if they moved them down the street hmm. and built their own place, which Little Caesars Arena is a nice venue. And unlike unlike Joe Lewis, they actually planned what they were going to do. Joe Lewis had a funny story where the mayor of Detroit just threw it up almost overnight because he was afraid the Red Wings were going to move to the suburbs. So, uh, so uh. it was very hastily assembled, but... You know, when you tell me these stories about your gigs in Detroit, my reaction is only one guy got killed. I mean, that sounds like <laughs> a pretty good night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would like to think when the band finally did get on, we killed. You know, we were great. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah. Uh, I, the other thing about uh, Detroit, of course, is that um, it's you know, right across from Windsor, which is, you know, when Journey sings about South Detroit, they're talking about Windsor. Exactly. Um, so there is a there's a really strong Canadian. You mentioned about my kid playing, you know, for for Central Michigan for the Chippewas, and and uh, but there's always been a very strong connection between you know Southern Ontario and and Michigan. You know, so uh, I, I do think. Uh, well, here's another one. When Triumph was, uh, uh, I think it was the Thunder Seven tour. Uh, before we would go out, we would rent a hockey rink and use it to set up the production and, and rehearse for about a week with all of the production guys. And we did that in Kalamazoo at Wing Stadium. So, you know, it, it was close and it was kind of slightly more big leagues than, than maybe, you know, the, the sticks of um, Ontario. If you went into the sticks of Michigan, you, were, you felt like you were kind of, yeah, we're, we're moving up. And we shot a, a, a TV commercial in that stadium. For Pepsi, because we had a Pepsi tour sponsorship. So, well, if you if you'd played in Windsor Arena, I think the the roof would have come down. That was really an old barn over there. So we uh, we're glad you played it safe. Although Windsor Arena is probably getting pretty old out there in Kalamazoo now too. D did you guys would you uh, would this have been before the big craft beer 
phenomenon happened because Kalamazoo is kind of the the place where craft beer really started with Bell's Brewery, and they became a, a really really big deal. Yeah, it would, it would have been eighty five. You okay. know, so I I don't I don't know because I don't really know about the craft beer thing, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I remember, you know, the, the, there's a thing that exists sort of in Canadian culture where, you know, you go to Michigan because you might want to go catch a Ludnuts game. Do you know what I mean? Like, there, there's a thing about Michigan. Lots of folks have cottages that are on the, you know, on the Lake Michigan shoreline, Canadian folks, you know. Um, but then, of course, the Michigan folks come on over and they've got cottages in Canada, you know, on, on Lake Huron and stuff. So, I don't know. I mean, it was always just a cool place to go. And I, I, when I went solo, I would go up and play gigs up in the peninsula. You know, and there would be guys at my gigs wearing T-shirts that said, you know, like, God and guns. Go, okay. Yeah, God, guns, and guts, the three Gs that made America great. You see that, you see that a lot when you get, uh, when you get north of Detroit. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rick it's, Rick, it's really interesting because I was reading that, you know, you, because you just said, uh, you don't know about the craft beer because you were never in it for the sex and the drugs, just the rock and roll. I mean, you are a straight up musician and, and Gil and Mike were about the whole, you know, presentation with Triumph. Um, but did they, did, were they partiers or did you ever, were people like, come on, man, were you ever pressured to be the rock star partier? Um, well, I mean, it was always there, you know, and, and there's there's stories that, that, that I can tell. Uh, part of it is, you know, when you decide you're going to sit down and write a memoir, that becomes one of the things, like, how much do I want to talk out of school? How much do I, you know, how much am I going to betray, betray the, you know, the blue line or the, you know, what, what happens in the dressing room stays in the dressing room, all of those kinds of things. Um, and, and, you know, I, but... And it's not like I'm Lily White, you know. I <laughs> I had my time, and and I was still, you know, uh, smoking a lot of dope when ah. when uh, when I was in Triumph in the in the early stages. But by the time I was about twenty five or twenty six, it it wasn't fun anymore. I would get paranoid, and I would be sitting there going, "Oh, geez, I think I'm getting, I think I'm getting a tumor," you know. So <laughs> I, I I decided I wasn't going to do it anymore, and of course. As soon as I did that, my singing improved anyways. You know, it made it easier to be doing gigs night after night and staying in health, which being a rock star is very much like being a, a pro athlete because you got to be able to get up on stage and bring it night after night after night, you know. So um, that that was the challenge of it. So, But that's not to say that, you know, I mean, there's a story where I, I'm – Shall I name names? I'll name names. Yes. Who cares? Uh, we're playing a, a tour in Texas where we're flip-flopping, headlining with a band called UFO. And mm. there's a bass player in the band called Pete Way. And uh, I've never met the guys in the band. But uh, the first time we're playing a gig, he walks out onto the arena floor. And he, he's with, you know, he's kind of typical rock star, big, tall, skinny dude. And he's got a model for a girlfriend. You know, she's a big, tall, skinny thing. And they come walking towards me. And we're going to shake hands and say hi. And, and the first thing out of his mouth is, yeah, man, you got me too. <laughs> the guy's looking for blow, you know. <laughs> and for those guys in that band, the, the the idea of being on the road was like this 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 traveling circus. And, like, and, you know, I say this because the singer, I think his name was Phil Mogg, yep. 
literally later that night, or maybe the next night, again, he, he launched himself off of a balcony because the police had been called because their party had gotten out of hand. And so uh, he saw the police coming and he, he decided he was going to attack them. Jumps off the balcony, lands on, well, they just get out of the way and let him, you know, build <laughs> upon the tarmac. And um, so he has to show he's in casts. You know, he's got one on his arm, he's got one on his foot, I, you know. And you go, oh, geez, what happened, man? You know. Um, so, but I was not one of those kind of reckless rock stars. I did see them. I have plenty of stories about that kind of stuff, but. You know, it didn't really happen to me. Well, I, I was watching because oh. um, you guys put out a DVD, try and put out a DVD of the Us Festival. And I find the Us Festival fascinating in so many ways. I think it's kind of a forgotten festival. And you guys played on, on Heavy Metal Day, which, talk about partiers. I mean, you had Van Halen, um, Ozzy, uh, Priest, uh, Motley Crue, which, and it's it's just crazy watching that crowd and the mass of humanity. Do you go back and watch that? Do you like to relive that? I mean, that's, that's a, that's pretty wild. I mean, that's a pinnacle. Yeah. I'm not really the kind of, I'm not wired to be somebody that uh, goes back to the past very much. It, obviously when you're putting out a memoir, you know, mm -hmm. and now you're doing the round of interviews and, and yeah, Triumph puts out these, you know, documentaries and things, uh, yes, festival on vinyl, you know, all, <laughs> All of these kinds of things. So you can't help it. You, you, you're going to get dragged into it. And I'm not going to deny certain things. Like when, in the intro, you were talking about, you know, was a rock star. Once a rock star, always a rock star. You can't really ever get away from the fact that there were these things that happened in your life. And they're kind of larger than life. And they're, they're going to stay with you. They're going to be the things that they, in your obituary, you know, It'll be all oh, Rick Emmett. He was this guy in Triumph, and oh, Triumph. And then maybe their sterling moment was this day at the US Festival in 1983. Now, it's not like, and it's weird to do the rounds of interviews now for a memoir because one of the surreal things about it is it's almost like you're talking to folks and they're going, yeah, so this is a great wake, Rick, and you, you had a great life. And you go, wait, not dead yet. You know, <laughs> still have other chapters of my life ahead of me that, you know, I'm just. Having to do this because it's kind of something that the market is so used to the, the 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 I don't know the monetization of the past and and uh, looking back. But having said all that, eighty three, you know, uh, the Memorial Day weekend, uh, it was something. And being on that bill, it was pretty crazy. And it was the one of the big memories for me is it was this incredibly hot day. Mm -hmm. Really. Uh, uh, the dust in the air was bad. There was a lot of particulate in the air. I think the Santa Anas were blowing it in a certain way. Plus, it was a dusty thing, and so the, the dust from the from the venue itself, from the uh, location, was kind of floating around the air. Because who thought they were going to put you know anywhere from two hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand folks in one place at one time? So <laughs> the place was nuts. Um, but you got up on stage and you ran around for a bit, and oh my god, it was so tiring and so hot. And then I was thinking about there was Judas Priest in their leathers and their studs and their jackets and their helmets and, and riding their motorcycles up onto the stage. And I thought, hey, man, that's a hot day's work. <laughs> like, I'm not sure I would want to have to necessarily do that for a living. I'm glad I can get up here in a track shirt. You know? Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to uh, launder those leather suits either after that. I mean, I, I don't know if they ever properly get a chance to dry. I saw the Romantics 
one time uh, the lead singer at, at some gig in Detroit, and I said, you know, when I was a kid, I heard when you guys toured in those red leather tuxedos every week or every night, you wore them every night. And I said, anybody who's ever played hockey knows hockey gloves take a while to dry out. When they dry out, they don't really smell too good. I said, what was it like in those suits? He's like, yeah, you know, we did it. It's like, well, he didn't really want to talk, but I don't think it was a very, a very pleasant memory. But you write in the book, Rick, vice just seemed like too much work, too much stress for too little reward, and too much threat of damage to myself and the people I cared about. The high road wasn't the shortcut, but it seemed simpler, cleaner, better lit. Always the more normal, natural choice for me. And you're someone who married a woman who you met when you were in high school um, and are still married today. And you, you mentioned the Us Festival, there's some big, crazy backstage party, and you just you just avoided it. it was there ever times when you said, well, let me, let me stick my toe in the pool, and you said, ah, this isn't for me, or holy smokes, this... Like, I, when I go into casinos, I'm like, I don't stay very long because I'm afraid I'll never leave if I have too much fun. Yeah. What happened at moments like that? There must have been times when someone said, come on, Rick, let's go. Great, great gig. Let's, let's, let's hang out afterwards. Yeah, it, it, it happened, you know, and I'm not going to deny that, that I didn't, you know, try things and, <laughs> and you know, uh, but I would try them and then go, yeah, that wasn't much fun, you know. <laughs> and, but I think... The, 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 the thing to understand, too, and, of course, you know, the writing of a memoir leads you to self-realization. So that thing that you read, which, you know, thank you for uh, reading that. And I, I go, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. That was, some, that was some insight there. One of the other chunks of insight about me is that I was a kind of a jock with a jock mentality when I was in high school. And even before high school, I ran track. I played baseball. I, you know, in high school, I played on the football team. And. I was kind of like a star because I was really fast. So I had that kind of, you know, rocket Ishmael kind of uh, gift when I was 14, 15, oh, 16. They're starting to catch up to me. 17, they're, they're breaking my legs. And, you know, like literally my ACL got torn. Uh, and that was kind of the end of that dream. But I, I always had that joy of play, which is to say that in the moment and I, I talk about this in the book, you know, I, I, the, the ball gets hit off into the sky and you're running, trying to time it so that when that ball comes down, it's going to come down into your glove. And there's going to be this incredibly satisfying feeling, which is like poetry of, of the moment. And that was the thing that I loved about music, that it had poetry in every moment, or at least the potential for it. And I loved the, the feeling of chasing that, you know, of, of being in pursuit of that. And so drugs and, and extracurricular activities, that always felt like it was kind of getting in the way of this much more spiritual pursuit um, where your body had to kind of be an instrument for that, that, that kind of spiritual pursuit. If, if you decided... Yeah, I'm going to get hammered, you know. I'm going to do a, an eight or nine lines of blow. Oh, then I'm going to need to drink some alcohol to try and bring me back down. It, it, I could look around me and I could witness this firsthand. And I would go, yeah, that, that's not for me. I'm going back to the hotel. I'm going to have a cup of herbal tea, you know. And I'm going to get a good night's sleep. Because tomorrow I want to be able to get, get up there and I want to be able to chase it. And I think, I mean, obviously there were triumph fans that would – 
come to the band because they would go, it's the best show I ever saw. It's incredible. They've got lights that move and lasers and then flashbots and they got flamethrowers and oh my God, it's unbelievable. But I do think that there were a lot of people that came and said, hey, when Rick Emmett does his guitar solo, yeah. it's like, <clears throat> it's a really cool moment where, you know, the, the, the show settles down and it's just this guy doing his thing, you know, and that was the moment I lived for. Well, we got a lot of fans checking in. Debbie Michelli says, hi, Rick. Uh, Frank Clemenson from uh, Windsor, regular re regular listener, says, uh, hey, how's it going? He's he's joining us from South Detroit. Um, <laughs> your music, unlike a lot of metal at the time, had a spirituality to it. And one of the things that I really liked about it, and when we talked about it on this show a couple of years ago, I, I read some of the lyrics. I, I won't try and sing them this time, on, although I know Sean's going to be very disappointed. I oh, don't, I, you definitely are going to have to sing I, them. I do not have that register, but... Uh, no, you can do it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, lines that you have, like, I don't ask for much, the truth will do just fine. I think of that all the time. You know, I, I, I think that we, we have these expectations of people and we, we want them to do things for us or we, ex we think they, they expect things of us. And a line like that, just, it just resonates with me because it's just a fundamental thing, right? I mean, whatever you can and can't do, just be straight with me. And where did you, where did you find this? You know, were these, were these truths that had been resonating in your head or is it just an inspiration because it's uh it's a moment of genius that, that just like a tuning fork, it just kind of keeps, keeps ringing. Wow. Well, that's nice. Yeah, you, you put that in a, in a really nice way. I honestly, you know, uh, like it, I taught songwriting at the college level for a long time and you know, the great songwriters will all admit there's a kind of a mystery to it, you know, like you pursue it and, you know, like Leonard Cohen would say something like, uh, if, 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 if I knew where the great songs were, don't you think I'd go there more often? Like, you know, it, it's hard and, 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 it, and it, there's, it's a grind to find your way to those things. But part of it too is you, it's just like anything, you have to fail in order to um, finally have those moments where you succeed. And, you know, well, here we are, it's October, and, you know, baseball playoffs are going on, and, um, you know, I'm a big baseball guy, and I used to tell my, my students, I used to teach music business, and this was a core thing, I would say, look, you want a secret of life? Here's a secret of life. Ty Cobb was the greatest hitter in all of Major League Baseball history, and his lifetime batting average was three, you know, .366, you know, dot, 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 so .367, I would say, this is... Like that is a secret of life. He was the greatest of all time, and he failed more than, you know, six times out of a ten. Like, you're going to fail, and it becomes a question of how do you cope with failure? How do you deal with that, and how do you bounce back from it? Like, that old thing of you get knocked down, you get back up. And then what will you, what have you learned from getting knocked down, you know? So, um Lay It on the Line was the third triumph album, that, that lyric that you quoted. And, you know, I've written songs before, lots and lots of songs, but that one was one where I think, and especially that album, that Just a Game album, that was 1979, I was starting to figure out, how do you combine the, the, the things of being like a singer and a guitarist 
and a songwriter and the the opportunity you're getting to be a recording artist, which that was a whole other level of making records that radio would play. And then this whole idea of, of a message and, you know, let's call it, say, a diamond, right? And human beings move mountains and mountains of slag in order to get to this tiny, you know, pressurized carbon. And, and in a song, that's kind of what you're hoping for, this this spotlight moment where something is going to hit somebody and resonate with them. So that idea about truth, I think it was, you know, looking back on it now, I realized it, it was an intuitive thing, but I was realizing the band calls itself triumph. Triumph of what? <laughs> you know, um, if, if I'm going to contribute to, to this band's success, my songs and my creative thing, it's got to reinforce, you know, the brand, you know, uh, and no, nobody thought like that in those days. It was just you were kind of feeling your way towards it, working your way towards it. But that idea of like uh, a virtue, uh, like truth and, and telling truth and being honest, you know, um, which was a little ironic, of course, because we were a band of masks and, and giant production and things to hide behind. But um, nevertheless, you know, the song was saying, hey, just. Yeah, give give me the truth. That that'll that'll work. You know that that'll suit me. And I think that resonates with folks because it takes all of the noise of life, all of the uh, traffic, and all of the uh, uh, the hardship of it, and it just kind of boils it down to a simple truth that you go, yeah, that that would work. You know. Now, where does that come from? And I went to a lot of church when I was a little kid, you know, so my mom would drag me off and I sang in the choir and there was all of that. So uh, music to me was was about hymns and anthems. And they always had this, you know, kind of spiritual heart to them. And even though I, you know, later in my life, I wasn't really uh, much of an organized religion anymore and the idea of God and afterlife and that sort of thing, I still believed in that very humanist thing of, this, this is why I'm here. This is what I should be pursuing. This is what I should be offering to folks. You know, I'm not going to ram it down their throat, but if they like it, great. Let me let me just ask: How did you, how did you get started, Rick? How did you guys find each other? I mean, you went from baseball running track to touring stadiums around America. And and by the way, when did you cut your hair? Because a lot of <laughs> rockers refuse to cut their hair they get to our age your age and uh yeah they're still they're still dropping it back down their shoulder blades yeah, yeah. well uh okay so a couple of questions there. so sean the first one is um that uh you know uh, when i was in high school and i started to get a lot of injuries and i was only five eight and uh only about a hundred and 30 pounds, 35 pounds, you know, soaking wet. Kind of so like it was like the idea of becoming a, 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 a professional athlete or even just a, a collegiate level athlete, that wasn't really going to be in the cards. And so then I uh, got myself a, a Fender Telecaster and a little amp, and a friend of mine got me into some uh, 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 polka band gigs and I, a Jewish wedding and bar mitzvah stuff. And um, I got my union card, and I and I started to become a musician. And that, you know, that was the beginning of uh, working. I was still in high school, and um, then um, I, I had always always in basement rock bands and stuff. Um, and then 
slowly but surely, uh, I, I, I actually, eventually got a gig with a guy named Justin Page, who had a record deal with Capitol Records here in Canada. And I toured with him and played in his band. And then I was playing in my own sort of progressive little band at a, at a bar in West End, Toronto. Uh, and the, the two guys, Mike and Gil from Triumph, they came and saw me there and said, hey, uh, I think this is our guy. And so they pitched me and uh, I was very unhappy about having to leave my friends in this, you know, very kind of progressive band that I was in in order to go to this Triumph thing that these guys had envisioned. But um uh, it, it was clearly going to be a, a, a move up in life. And I mean, the, honestly, the biggest motivator was that uh, I, uh, my girlfriend and I wanted to move out and live together. And so Triumph was offering me kind of a starting salary of 175 bucks a week, which uh, whether we played gigs or not. And I went, well, that will allow me to, you know, fulfill this other thing, which was more of a core value thing to me anyways. So that, that's that's how it started. And yes, it's weird how it happens fast. You know, your question about, um, you know, headlining and playing arenas and stuff. It, it did happen relatively quickly. It was only about three or four years before that happened. Um, but that was kind of part of the triumph thing was that it was always going to sort of declare itself way above its own head. And, um, and, you know, people bought into it. The industry bought into it. The public bought into it. Uh, and it, it, it just kind of, it was like a roller coaster ride that was crazy and surreal. And, and uh, yeah. Now, as the hair goes, um, <laughs> uh, it, you know, if I let it grow out, it just looks kind of stringy and, and bad. It, like, it had a lot of body when I was, you know, in my 20s and in my 30s and even in my 40s. But then, you, you know, and... I did go through some anxiety things in my life where I, I started to have alopecia areata where you get these bald spots. And so then I was learning about comb overs and artful hairstyling and, you know, all of that because in the old days, I didn't really have to worry. It, it grew out. It, it was good looking head of hair, you know? So of course, it, here's the thing. Uh, you remember the MTV? It started out, you know, early eighties, but by about 80, 485 it was all about hair production everybody was having to do mm. the thing with the like it had to start looking big and, and yeah the big hair you know, bands, right videos with you know all this hairspray and shit and, and so you know um i was never all that keen on that necessarily well, but um, speaking, of, speak, speaking, oh, of, speaking of surreal you're talking about how it hit i <laughs> I was one of those uh, young guys in high school driving around Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth area with your cassette tapes in my little uh, 1977 Honda Accord jamming to... Did you have long hair? Lay it on the line and eventually fight the good fight. I did. I had My <laughs> hair was more like Rick Ocasek's back then. It was kind of medium. <laughs> but uh, no, it's... Uh, it was, and then here you are and... We're doing a podcast uh, 40 years later. It's uh, Rick, it's, it's something. Re it's really interesting, though. You said Triumph started really fast, but the end seemed to take a while. It Was it, um, you know, and, and I, I don't know how, I don't know the ins and outs and exactly what it was. You are straight-up musician. They were more, well, they were music, good musicians, too, but theatrical businessmen. Is that, was it oil and water? Was it the label change? What started the slow decline for the breakup of Triumph? All of those things and, and a lot more, you know, um, 
And, and there's certain things, again, you know, that, that thing about how much do you want to necessarily go into details that are eventually going to make the average people yawn and go, yeah, you know, don't really care about, uh, you know, all of these terrible things that happen to you, Rick, you know, and the bottom line and blah, 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 uh, you know. So you kind of go, okay, well, I'll, I'll try to figure out ways to, and I, know I it's not like I want to romanticize anything by leaving out the bad and just having, you know, the good. But, um, you know, when a band starts, uh, in, especially in Triumph's case, uh, it, we had a kind of an ethic that was three musketeers. You know, all for one, one for all. Everything's getting split three ways. This is all going to be good. And it's an easy thing to do when you don't really have a pot to piss in. But then as, you know, success happens, and there's money, and there's now power dynamics that exist because... Each guy has a role, but some guys' roles are a little bit more important than other guys when it comes to, you know, well, their dad was kind of the bookkeeper, and one guy was kind of the general manager, and really, everything kind of had to cross his desk, and I'm going, well, I don't necessarily want everything to cross his desk, and um, it was getting to the point where, like, one of the things that happened in my life that didn't happen in the other guy's life was that a Guitar Player magazine had uh, approached me and said, hey, you seem to be an articulate guy, and you know you've been a subscriber to our magazine forever. How would you like to be a guy that writes a column in the magazine? And I went, "Oh, you know, what an honor, what an incredible thing." But they said, "Well, we want you to write a back to basics column, so it's going to be kind of like kindergarten, grade one kind of entry level kind of stuff." And I was going, "Ooh, I don't know how. I don't know if I can turn that, and I don't know if I like the idea of what that might do." to my image and stuff in a public way, but I don't care to be on in the pages of that magazine. That that's all. But when I went to the triumph guys, uh, they said, yeah, well, you know, whatever you get paid, right. That just comes into the kitty. Bullshit. Yeah. Well, you know, but that sort of shows you where the rub of, of three musketeers starts to rub against, well, hang on. I'm becoming a big boy now and, and I have my own life and I have my own, ambitions and, and and of course record companies are going have you ever thought about a solo record because the dynamic was starting to occur where you know we're sitting here and you guys are talking about laying on the line and fight the good fight and you know we could be talking about magic power and hold on and all of these songs were songs that i wrote they were the ones that became the evergreen kind of tunes for the band not the tunes that the other guys sure. were involved in really you know uh, as tried to make that happen that's not the way it played out publicly. That's not the way the public accepted the band. It's not the way it played out at radio. So that was something that created a wedge, you know, a, a burr under the saddle, a pee under the mattress. Like, you know, all of those kinds of things were like, and they, they accumulate, you know. Mm -hmm. So then you're having an argument about, you know, how to arrange a song on a record, and you realize, well, hang on, there's a, there's a bunch of kerosene here that it's coming from something else. You know, this is not about what we're talking about. This fight is clearly about something else. So, yeah, you know, uh, I mean, the Beatles were the most successful band in the history of <laughs> rock music, and they really lasted only about a decade. Triumph made it for 13 years with me in it, you know, so it was like, that was a pretty good run. You know, 
Uh, there, there's very few bands that are like the Rolling Stones. Most bands, they get a couple of kicks at the can and, you know, five or six years, and it's, uh-oh, somebody's going to leave. You know, somebody's got a drug problem, and et cetera, et cetera. A lot of this is explored in a documentary that came out a year or so ago called Rock and Roll Machine. And when you watch it, you realize Triumph really was a machine. It was built to to do what it did. There was a lot of uh, Gil and Mike were very into the business side of it. They realized that they had to put on a dynamic show, so they invested a lot in pyrotechnics. And I think... If the documentary is accurate, even when you guys were playing high schools, you were rolling up in a semi-trailer with a with a hell of a production uh, team. So it was one of these things where somebody had a plan and executed it, and then it kind of, I think, became uh, maybe a self-perpetuating machine when maybe it needed a little more human touch in there. And and if you read Rick's book, which I highly encourage you to do, he talks about. The first album, he wrote the songs. He had the publishing rights, but then he said, "You know what? Let's this. This is a team, so we're gonna we're divvy him up three ways." Now, if you know anything about music, and I don't know that much, I know enough that publishing rights is where the real money comes in. And so, if you're giving a piece of that action away, that's quite a gift to to be giving away. And with three guys, two of whom are kind of business oriented, and one guy who's more creative, you're coming into a, a two-to-one vote on almost every issue, which at some point is going to really get to you. Um, there are a couple of things in, in Rock and Roll Machine that, that I wanted to point out, and I, I don't want to keep Rick here all day because he's a busy man, but Rick lost two brothers to cancer, and there's a guy in the documentary who's a big Triumph fan who was basically staring into the abyss, thought he was going to die of cancer, and I think anybody who knew what his case was all about felt the same way. And he wrote to Rick, which I'm sure a lot of people do. And Rick wrote him back a really thoughtful letter that was very inspiring. And uh, that was a part of the the documentary where I actually choked up because I think that really was something you didn't need to do. And you didn't just say something like, uh, you know, rock on, kick cancer's ass, you know, triumph forever. It was a thoughtful thing that I think may have made a difference in this this person's battle. Um, how often do you find yourself doing things like that, where somebody turns to you and says, "You mean a lot to me." Um, what can you tell me about about what I'm dealing with? Uh, well, obviously, when I was out on the road, it was an almost daily occurrence, and certainly in in a world that sort of converted from. You know, you show up to the gig, you go in the back door, you come out of the dressing room, you play on the stage, you go back to the dressing room, you go out the back door, you go back to your hotel. But the world changed and it became all about meet and greets. And, you know, you're interacting now. Uh, and, and that's how, you know, they're adding value to the concert ticket and stuff. So uh, I, it was in my life all the time. But it was also something that I pursued and and consciously wanted to have it be i'll tell you a little anecdote to illustrate this when triumph was being successful 1979 1980 my wife and i used to go every summer for a little holiday to a place where we went for our honeymoon and uh it was up on a lake in in northern ontario and uh before i would go i would go to the girls that work in the office and i would say from the fan mail Give me a pile of, of the really good ones. Uh, give me like, you know, I don't know, 50. 
75 letters. And I would go away on my holiday and I would sit down and I would write, handwrite letters on my stationery and answer all of those letters. And the other guys in the band at one point said, are you out of your mind? Like, wh what are you doing? And I went, I think I'm doing something that's going to matter for the rest of everybody's lives. And they went, oh, you're nuts. But again, I think it comes back to this thing of seeing music as a kind of a spiritual thing. It has a value that that it, it remains in people's lives. The, 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 the music that you guys listened to when you were teenagers, it stays with you. It's it, it's, it's in your DNA now. It's it's in the way your brain functions, you know. And they're just starting to understand uh, on much deeper levels this idea of, of uh, you know, of brain therapy, of music as brain therapy for uh, people with autism and people with, with uh, Alzheimer's. And, you know, so I, I always felt that in sort of an, in an intuitive way. And I thought, no, the, the music has to sort of offer something. And I, your, your point, uh, Emma, was a good one, that, that thing of uh, the band needing a, a more human kind of value to it. And I think the artists that um, last, the artists that become really, really huge, and I'm thinking now in my mind of like Madonna and David Bowie and those kinds of a Bruce Springsteen, they become iconic kinds of folks that they survive through many cycles of the industry turning itself over. And how is that? Why is that? And it's because they do keep finding their way to reinventions of, I'm going to offer you something that money can't buy. This is going to be larger than life, and this is going to be amazing, and this is going to speak on levels of... Uh, fashion and levels of, of uh, human spirituality. And so, um, you know, uh, in my own humble, modest way, I was taking a crack at that. Well, you write, the good book says it's better to give than to receive. I do my best to do my part. I'd say that's uh, that's exhibit A right there, responding to fans. Uh, one, one last thing on the documentary that I referenced at the top of the show, John five, uh, as one of the, one of the musicians who says he was greatly influenced by triumph. John five got his start in a high school band playing with my brother in the basement and they were playing blizzard of Oz. They called themselves, they played all the priest, all the, uh, all the, um, all the Aussie stuff. And, uh, I, I still remember one of their, their lead singer who was a very talented, guitar player and trombone player trying to do Brian Adams summer of 69. And every time he hit that, it's a summer of 60, his voice would crack and it would over and over and over again. I was like, Oh my God. Well, back then John five, who was John Lowry was the preppiest kid you ever saw pink polo shirts, Oxford's. He looked like he came out of some sort of Ralph Lauren ad and you see him now. And you know, I think he's with Motley Crue now, isn't he? Didn't he replace Mick? Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's yeah. With them, yeah. So, so uh, our our paths have crossed very strangely over the years. But, sing, uh, Mike. Come on. <laughs> I just did. That's as close I get. No, will you sing. will you sing for Rick, like you did on the show a few years ago? The only place I sing in is church because they're too polite to tell me. Last time I sang, I sang Triumph. I got I almost got yeah, canned. Yeah, yeah. 
Rick, I, I got to ask you before we go, and, and I don't know if this is a trite question or if you get annoyed at the comparison with Rush. I mean, same, not just Canadian bands, same area, loud three pieces, guitar driven, uh, deep lyrics. And I know you're friends with Alex now, but was it a, was there a competition between anybody in the band or was it kind of, hey, we're both, we can, you know, uh, rising tide raises all boats kind of thing? There was never any competition or, or any uh, bad spirit at all. And I, I can remember before I was in Triumph seeing Rush at the uh, Gasworks in Toronto, uh, a bar on Young Street, and uh, Danny had his, his uh, nails painted black you know, <laughs> at, at the time. And Alex was playing on a 335, and, and I didn't meet them then, but the first time Triumph played the Gasworks, Alex came. He was there. And he bought me a beer. We sat. We stood at the at the bar together. And uh, the thing about it was that Rush was always a level up. Like uh, and you know, at a, as Triumph was growing, Rush was kind of exploding as an international, global kind of. They were in Canada. Rush was the way that Led Zeppelin was. Mm-hmm. to the world or Pink Floyd was to the world so we weren't even in that league and I always saw it as Triumph was kind of riding on Rush's coattails and I would say as much you know uh, in interviews and stuff uh, because they were like Triumph had become successful and big but we were not in that same league um, and we were a very different kind of a band in any case they we're uh, fast becoming this progressive kind of thing. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that they weren't that metal. They had a little metal in them. They had a much, and they had that Led Zeppelin kind of metal, which Triumph did too. Um, and of course, you know, Getty saying hi and I saying hi. Yeah, okay. But my singing wasn't in the early stages. It kind of was. It had a little bit of Getty in it. But I was much more of a sort of a John Anderson of Yes kind of singer or a Robert Plant of Zeppelin kind of a singer. Now, Zeppelin was really the band that Triumph modeled itself after, not not Rush, you know. Um, and we used to play Led Zeppelin sets in bars, and and, and we had medleys where we would play, and we and we would do some Hendrix, and we would do some Deep Purple. Deep Purple was a, was a very uh, big band for me in a in a formative kind of way. And when Triumph was starting and was in that sort of metal period, a rock and roll machine, that kind of stuff. I was saying, you know, no, we, you got to look back to purple. You got to have that deep purple kind of roots in what we're doing. And I and uh, Rush didn't really have much of that, you know. Um, they had a little bit of working man in the early mm-hmm. stages, but you know, not not once they got rolling, and certainly not once when they got Neil in the band. Yep. Once that happened, it became more of a kind of a. There was a, a lot more esoteric kind of stuff going on. I have a question for you, ML. What does ML stand for? Michael Lewis. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't get that yeah. from a typo either, a typo on the album like uh, R.I.K. did. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good story, yeah. But I have kind of the same, just- the same thing. When, once I became ML, it kind of stuck, so I stuck with it. I didn't switch back to, to Michael, and I always thought M. Lewis was a little too pretentious. Yeah. Did, did, yeah. So that, did that was that branded by your family or your friends, or, or did you choose that? No, just when I started writing in college, I used it because uh, it was a little different. The the guys I used to write these. Uh, I used to cover the uh, 
police department in college, and the guy who did it before me was he had a Middle Eastern name. It was Saeed Deep, and you'd have your name at the bottom of what you wrote, but his name was spelled S-A-I-D Deep, so it looked like the police were actually saying something in a deep voice, and I thought, well, that's mm. that's pretty cool. And then I met him, and I said, oh, it's Saeed, okay. And then the guy who replaced him was Arthur Bridgeforth Jr., which had this beautiful melodic name and i'm like i'm mike elrig I said, well what am i gonna do I, I figured i figured i'd just go with ml and i wrote him in a way that was a little offbeat and people kind of liked him i thought well if this is what people are digging i'll i'll stick with it so now i've been long i've been ml longer than i haven't been but um but your friends call you mike though uh, they call me all kinds of things but, for the most part right? <laughs> but we have a, we have a guest here so i want to keep it sophisticated kind of like uh you know magic gets called irvin by his people well, they used to, the M used to stand for magic, but that's that's more of our uh, PG thirteen show. So we're going to save that for another time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Rick, really great catching up with you. We we could keep you here all day, which I think you probably have better things to do. I want to leave you with one thing Rick wrote in the book uh, that I think is one of many things worth taking with you. I try not to give regret much time and energy because it's counterproductive. Yes, one uses experiences of sadness and regret to shape one's choices for today and tomorrow, but wishing that reality had been different never held much fascination for me. An interesting observation for someone who writes a memoir, but if you get into it, you'll find out why he wrote it. And uh, it's a great read. Laid on the line, a backstage pass to rock star adventure, conflict, and triumph. Rick, where can people get this book? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, the small press publishers like to, you know, they, they, they give you a script and say, make sure you push folks towards independent booksellers in their neighborhoods because, you know, we don't want to see all of those uh, shops die. But, of course, you can go on Amazon and you can order. <laughs> you could have done that before the book even came out, you know. So we live in a digital universe and there's no getting around that. There's an audio book that's coming. You know, uh, and that's, I can't remember the publisher of that, but, and they said, Rick, do you want to have an actor, you know, read your words? And I go, yeah, that'd be good. Because I, I wrote a poetry book and I did my own audio book and it's hard work. And I went, I think I'd like to avoid that hard work. <laughs> so they're going to get a professional to do it. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, great. Oh, and there's an advance. Oh, great. You know, so that's coming. But um, yeah, the book itself, it's ECW Press. So okay. if they've got a website, you can order it there. But you can go to Amazon, you can order it there. Like, you know, in Canada, they have Indigo chapters. What, what's the big chain in, in the States? What do they call it? Well, it used to be Barnes & Noble, but they're they're still around. It's Amazon. Yeah, yeah it's Amazon. Who are we kidding? Yeah. 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 It's the way of the universe, you know, which it's, it, that's a kind of a weird thing, you know, uh, because, of course, if you write a book, you're starting, you're, you're going... Like 16th and 17th century authors, you know, I'm writing a book. <laughs> okay, you know, don't put on too many airs. And now, who wants a book? You know, people go, oh, I think I want it for my Kindle. I, you know, can't can I just get it so I can listen to it in my earbuds when I'm walking? You know, so it's a different world now. Well, I read it. I read the PDF on my phone, and I'll tell you, I will be ordering the hard copy. And if you're looking to support a new independent bookseller, Next Chapter Books on East Warren in Detroit just opened. They'll find a book for you anywhere. I used to work there when it was a paint store when I listened to Triumph and it was on the radio. So uh, so do support your local bookstores. Support Rick Emmett. He's, he's got an important message out there. 
And uh, Rick, great having you here. You're welcome anytime. Just let us know. Thanks, uh, gentlemen. I really did enjoy this. Uh, uh, great questions and uh, a nice chat. And I'm yeah, I look forward to doing it again. Well, Rick, we never ask for much. The truth will do just fine. <laughs> there it is. Well, I'm, I'm going to get my Rick. severance now. That's yeah. it for me. Thanks, Rick. Hoisting on his own petard. There we go. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Okay, kids. Lay it on the line. I can't do it. I'm terrible. But he's still great, man. Rick Emmett. Of Triumph and Solo Work and a professor. I mean, this guy, his career after the band is just as impressive yeah. as his career with the band. He's, he's really a renaissance man, and you will not read uh, a rock memoir like this. It's really, to me, it, it's almost more like uh, a journal. He really gets into a lot of things that if you're a family man, if you're someone trying to find your way in life, there's a lot to think about here, and uh, it's, 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 it's good stuff. And, and like a lot of these books, it's a quick read. You, know? it, you can spend a day and really, um, really come away feeling a lot richer for it so uh hey and if you want to be a lot richer oh, how's that for a segue yeah it's uh right you gotta maybe let's, invest let's get right to the commerce <laughs> getting your investments going why don't you give luke nowacki a call i'll give you a free consultation to uh, help you figure out well what do i do with all this money that i made being a rock star how am i going to help it grow what are my goals as i get older give luke a call 248-663-4748 uh once again free consultation find out if you are in target to meet your goals. Because when you call Luke, he'll make it all about your sweetheart! Securities and investment advisory services offered through Bonaic Wealth. Sync member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C Bonaic Wealth. Sync is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent Bonaic Wealth. Sync. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Is him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into cool guys? Summer's over. But with the Michigan Peddler, Detroit's top-rated party bike, the fall fun has just begun. You can get up to 15 friends and family on a bike for a fun Friday night on the town. Saturday afternoon, you know, soak up some fall sun. Get that, get that last gasp of those, those, those receding rays. Or maybe you do a roving tailgate before a Sunday Lions game. It's the perfect way to get people socializing and off their damn phone. Get on a pedal bike. The Michigan Peddler will take you to Detroit's landmarks where you can take the kind of shots, the selfies, the ussies, if you're a Ted Lasso fan, that will make you the envy of everyone on Instagram. Small groups are no problem. The mini peddler is perfect for members 
of the Sean Windsor Fan Club because it accommodates groups of six or less. If Triumph does a reunion tour on a pedal pub, three of them, they'll be, they'll be fine. They don't even need roadies. They can get on that, that on that mini bike. Uh, it might happen. It might happen. Ride start in Corktown, so you don't have to worry about traffic or paying parking. You can go to Corktown, Midtown, Campus Marshes, the stadiums, downtown, wherever you want to go. You can create your own pub crawl. Now, Michigan Peddler sponsors us because they're hoping we're going to help their business. And so we're offering a special incentive. If you book a ride on the Michigan Peddler and use promo code SOUL, we will send you some exclusive ML Soul of Detroit branded gear. You can only get that by using promo code SOUL. And if you don't use promo code SOUL, then they won't sponsor us anymore. So that doesn't work for us. It doesn't work for them. So get your ass out there on a pedal pub. If you book it on your birthday, the birthday boy or whoever books the trip will get some, uh, some gear from Michigan Peddler. For more information or to book your ride, you can call Michigan Peddler at 313-744-3272 or visit michiganpeddler.com. That's Michigan P-E-D-A-L-E-R.com. And they are not our Geek of the Week. They just bring us the Geek of the Week. No, uh, Geek of Week's going to be really short, and I'm glad Sean's not here because he'll get mad. But it's Calvin Johnson. What? Did you hear? No, I, I watched. I must the, not have. Why is Calvin Johnson? The I watched geek? I the Lions Calvin. some of the game on Sunday. You did? I did watch some oh, of Oh, my goodness. Because I had a hockey game, an How early about hockey those game. Lions? So I really couldn't do anything else. So I sat down and had a sandwich and watched the Lions. Yeah, great performance, you know, very fun to watch. David Montgomery, great free agent signing. I thought everybody else was getting hurt. He's just battering. I mean, I thought they mm -hmm. kept going, okay, Montgomery up the middle. I'm thinking, you're running out of running backs. Don't kill this guy. Great show. But I heard something that just drove me crazy. Like, I, I, I've always been down on Calvin Johnson because he quit and he expected to get all the money that he negotiated when he didn't tell him I'm going to quit. So I, I've never felt yeah. much sympathy for him there. But the announcer said that before the game, maybe the night before the game, Calvin Johnson went in the locker room and told the team, keep your spirits up, don't worry about it. It was the Carolina locker room. Did you guys hear that? Sean, did you know that? No, sorry, Drew uh, wanted to talk upstairs, so I figured that was more important. Did you know Calvin Johnson talked to the Carolina locker room? No. So I, what? I didn't know that either. Yeah, that's what, that's what they said. Unless How do you know he didn't talk to the Lions locker room? Who gives a shit? They're playing Carolina. I, you don't go in the other locker room unless you want to, you know, piss in there uh, Ben Gay or something. I don't know what the hell he's doing trying to get the Carolina uh, team up before they're playing his team that he abandoned. I thought it was after. And then had a know? fit of yeah, peak. Thought, yeah. <laughs> Are we sure he did this? And if, and if it's after the game, what's the big deal? No, they said it during. I mean, I, I, I heard the announcers say this while I was watching the game. It was happening. This was... Uh, this was all I know is he hung out with Devin Booker, who was rocking a uh, yeah. Miguel Cabrera jersey. Yeah, on the on the sideline before the game. And it was Calvin Johnson, my geek of the week. Who was wait? Calvin Johnson was your geek of the week. Yeah, for I, being a traitor. I disagree. Have a privileged week. traitor. Yeah, sorry, uh, Drew wanted to uh, talk about something that's clearly going to be part of your show later. What? There's some of the Mel Tucker coverage. And, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some reporters who were involved and yeah. some back and forth and that sort of thing. By the way, can Mel we play? and I were talking about that in the pre-show that you were not here for. Can we? You know what? It's hard to get here. I got. <laughs> I don't ask for us. Just try to be on time. I can't, I no can't do it. I cannot do it. This eleven o'clock is tough. I just can't do it. I I got to get my wife to work at a certain point, and we got there's this stuff. I, I can't do it anyway. 
Fight the good fight. Can we play that in room 7609? Let's find out. Whatever. Your answer is no. As you know, we're always looking for great suggestions for new wave acts that you love that had a hit that never really became Who's a we? hit. Me and people who okay. are here on time. Ah. And others. And sometimes there's a band Who's that you... ever on time, Mark? Um, well, I mean, he was earlier than usual today. Usual, okay. Usual is the key word. He did are you say guys done what, fighting? He did say what ML was about, so I guess that helps. Dragging it out. Well, so we like suggestions. In Rick Emmett's book, he says some of the music he likes to listen to the most includes Tears for Fears. And this, well, it's a very different kind of tune for someone who's a rocker. But it is a very beautiful, a very thoughtful, a very deep song called Woman in Chains.
Everybody still awake? Oh, come on. You know. <laughs> I should have stayed upstairs talking to Drew. Good morning. What happened? If, if, you, uh, if you know anything about Roland's story, he had a very difficult upbringing. And I think. Oh, good. Was I'm sorry a, for him. A very, a very reflective person. And so he's taking it out on us. Now, now you sound like Morrissey criticizing, um, criticizing We Are the World. Did you ever hear what he said about no, that? No, but he was no. probably right. He said, you know, I'm really sorry for all the suffering in Africa, but why should why should we be inflicted to more suffering because of it with this with this song? That's right. But, uh, no, it's an awful song. But yeah, no, this terrible. is a this is this terrible. is a nice song. It's That's something terrible. that you, you you I don't think you you think about when you yeah, think of tears Here, for fears. Have a Krispy Kreme. Um, I don't ask for much, and I don't ask for Krispy Kreme because I have a cholesterol issue. But thank you. A buzzkill. Some granola will do just fine. But uh, it's been baked in uh, maple syrup and brown sugar. As my high cholesterol toes the HDL line, I don't, I don't know anything about cholesterol. I just know I get too much of the the bad, not enough of the good. So that's room seven six or nine, where we invite you to to suggest new wave tunes that maybe you love, but other people haven't heard. Or you know, what the worst part of that it doesn't song really matter. Was? Sean's going to hate them, but, but we love them. So please keep them coming to Who's ML we, Mark Detroit. Love them. I didn't like that song one bit, and, and uh, the worst part was that it was six and a half minutes. <laughs> Well, it was nice to catch up though because I didn't I didn't get you, to catch up with the pre-show. You didn't you didn't hear the so that uh, was nice the extended version. There's a 12 minute version out there. Oh, I'm sure but, that's lovely. But uh, Tears of Fear is also big in the 80s and still on the road. They were just here last year. Unfortunately, I missed them. I had a conflict. But uh, but please send us your suggestions for room six oh seven six oh nine. We do have. Another new wave music theme uh, suggested that we will try and get to next week. I have one more up my sleeve from uh, the Bangles. I don't know if anybody wants the to guess which persons? one it is. Oh, is it going to be from, uh, are we still doing it from movies? I, I'd like to. What if about we have Missing Persons? Uh, I just Hazy listened Shade, to them this Hazy weekend. Shade of the Winter? Oh, oh sorry. Spoiler. From what movie? From what movie? Uh, Less Than Zero? Oh, damn. Yes. Yes. Great, great that, movie. Great song. Yeah, it's well, a, I'll, I'll tell you what, oh, if you I'm ever sure wondered. awful if you've watched it again. If, if you ever wondered whether it was glamorous to do drugs, uh, watch Less Than Zero. Oh, or Train Spotting. Train spotting for Which sure. Which I'm sure holds up much I better. I remember when I was younger watching train spotting. Yeah, I don't think I ever checked heroin. Yeah, no, there was very little uh, to. I uh, love that movie so to much. To inspire you. Uh, That's a great movie. I watched it at zero, least maybe once a not year. so much. In train spotting, except for. Train I love any scene with Begbie. It's a great movie. Begbie. <laughs> and, uh, and Ewan McGregor's Sean Connery impersonation is fantastic. When even Begbie starts the fight by putting his knife in the table and throwing the beer. Glass. Oh, yeah. What an asshole. And then the game was made. <laughs> Yeah, and and when they contrast oh, what it was shit. really happening yes. that night, it's like he found this little guy and kicked his ass, and uh, you know it was. It was, it was have you seen Train Spotting too? Because I think it's I pretty not. good. Oh, I, I know people rag on it, but it's I think it works well with the original tra- Train Spotting too. That's there's some things where I I just want it to be that like uh, Beetlejuice two is coming out. What is uh, it is? Yeah, Michael oh, Keaton is love Beetlejuice. Yeah, it's. That's going to be interesting. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to... Jeffrey Jones, of course, will not be making an appearance. I love Beetlejuice, in, in Beetlejuice on the uh, stage so I can go grope like uh, Bobert. Didn't Wasn't that what she was seeing? Wasn't she seeing Beetlejuice? Is that what she yes. was seeing? Really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, live on stage when they were groping. Yeah. <laughs> how romantic. So what if you say Matt Gates three times, Does do we get a new speaker in the house? Is that what happens? Yeah, there you go. Jim Jordan. Uh, oh, t- speaking of... Speaking of people who should be investigated, you know, okay, Jim Jordan's a whole thing. There's uh, 
some of the testimony of wrestlers who say what he knew and didn't know. I mean, we, we've talked on oh, this show at Ohio State, yeah. about about Larry Nasser, about Dr. Anderson, the wrestling coach at Ohio State, um, and Jim Jordan was an assistant coach, ignoring all these complaints about the team doctor doing some Dr. Anderson type stuff to these young men. And there are wrestlers who said Jim Jordan knew about it. This guy wants to investigate everything in the world except what went on with the Ohio State wrestling program. But let's let's save that let's save that for another time. We'll see where that plays out in Washington. Uh, no donors to thank this week, sadly. Uh, if you would like to support us, we really would appreciate it. You can support us by supporting our sponsors, Luke Nowacki, Pinnacle Wealth Strategies, Kaju Cafe, of course. Uh, lots of great stuff going on there. The kitchen is open late. The full menu is available until midnight, Monday through Saturday, and until 10 p.m. on Sunday. That's just about later than anybody uh, on the east side lots of great live music there unfortunately rick has retired from touring otherwise we would we would step in as his promoters and try and get him to play the cadu maybe you could do a two-night thing he could slide over to uh harpo's i don't know if we ever played he probably didn't play the iraq but that's another metal bar on the east side but lots of great stuff uh this let's see what's going on at the karaoke uh on wednesday uh tonight it's tuesday thousand fuel cd release Regal and The Problem will also be there. So that's at the Cadu Karaoke Wednesday, Thursday. Just come and enjoy the food and the feather bowling. Friday, Laura Rain and Caesars. Saturday, Jim McCarthy and Mystery Train. Sunday, Lemon Swans, Blonde Liars, Neon Display. And on Monday, Evan Perry and Friends Open Jam. That's the Blues Jam on Monday. And Muscle Madness, All You Can Eat Muscles. The weather's still good, so make sure you get out there and enjoy the Band Pavilion. New good music inside, outside, and of course, the garage bar. Big week in Michigan State news. Uh, Amy writes in, "Hey, if you need any additional content for today's podcast, this is super interesting. Maybe something the MSU J School instructor and sports columnist Windsor can chat about." Last week, when Mel Tucker's legal team leaks text they lifted from the dead woman's phone. Brenda's Tracy's assistant who died in a car accident over the summer. A young female sports director at the Lansing CBS affiliate went on a bizarre social media crusade to smear Tucker's alleged victim, Ms. Tracy, and defend Mr. Tucker. It legit seemed like someone was coaching her what to tweet. Her name? Audrey Dahlgren. Kenny Jacoby, the Australian Day reporter you had on as a guest a couple weeks ago, even publicly quoted Ms. Dahlgren, calling her out for being unprofessional. After her bizarre Mel Tucker spam, she is no longer on the LNS website and her socials have been removed. Uh, LNS sports director. Okay, I guess that's not what she's, her handle is on social media. Presumably fired? I don't know how someone young, pretty, and talented hitches their wagon to that bozo unless there's a quid pro quo of some kind. So she just blew up her career and credibility being a, price, a crisis PR flack while still employed as a professional journalist? Maybe you guys can talk about the ethics involved in situations like this and professional lines she seemed to cross. I'm sure you guys have a story of people you grew close professionally to trying to lean on you to print a certain spin. Well, we don't know that Mel Tucker had any influence or even communicated with Audrey Dahlgren about what she was posting, but I did see some of the posts. She did correct the one post saying that it's she Mel did. Tucker's legal team that is saying she is lying about her dating habits, which... I think that whole thing is a red herring anyways as to what happened between them. 
Well, she, she did try and provide some context. And, of course, on Twitter, where there's a limited number of characters, this is not sure. the place for in-depth discussions. Yep. Um, I, I, I've heard that she hosted a show, a Spartan football show with Coach Tucker. I don't know if that's true or not. So she may have had some some affiliation there. But certainly as the hometown station, you spend more time and get to know the coaches more than, than other folks. But, um, but you know, I, I haven't followed too much of what she was posting other than she and Kenny did seem to get into it, and Kenny did kind of kind of bring her up short and just say, hmm, these are odd things to be saying for a journalist. Um, I don't know. Sean, have you covered people? I mean, I know people you've covered have been in trouble before, um, and I know people you have some admiration for. Uh, Coach Izzo was taking a lot of heat when ESPN was going after Michigan State. Um, we've seen Juwan Howard take a lot of heat, and I, I think you – have some some affection or some affinity for yeah, Coach Howard? I don't know about affection or... Or some admiration. Affinity. Let's say admiration, I mean, right? I, re- I respect both you those respect guys him. as coaches. Let's say respect. Let's coaches. not make it more than it is. They're both respect. good coaches. They're not, yeah, not same sentence, maybe. But yeah. uh, they're both good coaches. But when you see them taking a lot of heat and it seems like uh, they're on they're on the, the heavy end of the scale... Have you ever felt compelled to say, now no, wait a minute? I have not. Or, or, I have not. Okay. How come? Uh, it's just, that's, to me, that's mostly social media, and I just don't, I just don't uh, partake in that. And it's not my job to, to, to defend somebody like that. I, you know, if, I, if I'm writing a column and it's something that's newsworthy and something's happened and I have to weigh in on it, then sure. But I'm not gonna, just going to go to Twitter and start – you know, attacking somebody or defending somebody. It's just not it's just not what I do. I, I think the rare times when I've done something like that is when I may have posted something where people are talking the Manoogian Mansion party and I'll say, you know, Kilpatrick did almost every other thing he's been accused of, but there was no party. And so if I weigh in on something like that, it's only on uh, a subject that I've spent some time investigating, have come to some conclusions and want to try and keep the conversation focused on more factual matters. But uh, it did seem like she waded into something and, and took a lot of heat from people who feel that Mel Tucker's legal team was being unfair to Ms. Tracy. But I also think she's a fairly young reporter in a fairly small market, and you kind of learn things like this in smaller markets. This is where you, well, it's the you tone. cut your teeth. It's, it's not just that sometimes it's the tone, but it's also just how you're going to the word choice is really important how you got to modify it if you say something and you don't say it's alleged or believed to be or whatever this is the charge is the accusation and you present it as fact and that you know and, and that's kind of what happened and i think that's why she probably had to amend it right i mean that's really all it is i i, I didn't i knew because i know her a little bit i knew she wasn't trying to say this is fact i knew she was just forgot a, a word Saying where it was coming from yeah, yeah. Wor- had forgotten a couple of words you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it, 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 that's the thing about social media you you if you're a journalist you it's easy to think okay i'm just having a conversation and you don't necessarily you're not as formal in the way you present things really it, and, I, it, and it can get away from you i'm just mad and it's amazing to me in general the, the the public and how we receive these things right and whatever side is presented that's that's what we go with and then the other side will this will be presented and that's fact it's you know for instance the five dollars left in her account 
right? That was presented as fact. She was down to five bucks. Well, it comes from a text to her friend, coworker. I tell my friends all the time I'm broke. It doesn't mean I'm broke, right? Is that factual? Is it factual? I mean, they put it in, they put it in the lawyer, put his lawyer puts it in the letter. I don't know. To me, it's a red herring. I've told you before, I had a lot of questions about Brenda Tracy and her actions, but that being said, that's not what he was fired for. No, it's not. And by the way, when you say broke, you say I'm broke. You probably are. Maybe there's something you want you can't afford, or you're you're behind on something, or it's, or yeah, something's or going on. I mean, to my last five dollars or whatever. But no, then you would no, say no, that no, the but, accusations but, from her. But you would say that you feel broke, and that's real, and so that's the truth, right? Well, I I would. I'm just saying it could be a figure of speech, or being down to your last five dollars could be a figure of speech. It could. Um, it could. Do I do I think he sexually harassed her? That's that is such a tricky, tricky question. And frankly, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. I don't think that's what he was fired for. I think he was fired for. Well, the no, it matters to her. I mean, sure, you shouldn't say. Sure, but, this is, but this isn't a criminal. You're case. talking about this isn't the, a civil the, case or a criminal. It case. It may not matter to Michigan State in terms of why they fired him, but of course it matters. It you know it matters to but her. It's not, but she's not suing him. If he did, it matters to her. Right? She's not. She's not having him. She's not pressing charges. Mm-mm. I mean, it's very different from Trevor Bauer. It is. And I think people lose sight of that. Well, I think the reason why Mel Tucker was fired was very narrow. The morals clause, and if you are having an intimate relationship with someone who's not your wife, and you're telling people things that aren't true, that's immoral and we can we can say oh that's outdated that's you know you know this isn't the 17th century and all that other crap well that is immoral and there's a morals contract clause in your contract but isn't that why you have hearings right to kind of parse who's telling the truth and who's not and if he's lying about it then yeah he's probably not telling the truth right and and then also immoral. the other reason they they said they fired him was because he um you know, he he brought shame to the university, or That's put the main it in, in a in a bad light. And I don't think That's the reason. I don't think there's any arguing that Michigan State and Michigan State football are not seen in the same light or as an, as favorable a light. Not that we don't we get very much favorable light these days as we were before this became public. So I think their basis for firing him is is going to stand strong. up yeah. pretty well. And uh, and I, I am looking at WLNS right now. Um, uh, Audrey does host the uh, coaches show, so maybe she knew uh, Mel and had some I'm sure she did. I'm some sure feeling, some but bias there. Or maybe she just Not said, "Hey, you know what? I, I I can increase my following by getting in the middle of this." I mean, she is a sports reporter in Lansing. She should be uh, someone people look to for her take on what's going on. Uh, perhaps she was just not as artful as she should have been. But but holy smokes, has she taken on a lot of taken on a lot of a lot of heat? Um, well, she didn't get fired, right? I mean, I I don't know. Is that fireable? What she did, in your opinion? <laughs> you know what? I, I don't I don't know. It depends on the who you're working for. There are, and, there and are behind people, the scenes, I guess. There are people getting crucified all the time for what seemed to me to be uh, correctable uh, actions. And I think in TV, it's easy to get rid of people because there's a line out the door of people who are probably just as good, just as hungry, and maybe even willing to work cheaper. Um, she has updated her LinkedIn, by the way. Oh, what does it say? Well, she just has an end date for being sports director at LNS. Uh, well, I don't see her on their homepage. October 
2023. I see Ian Kresk, weekend sports anchor. I see Haley Schoengart. Wait, what are we saying? Six sports reporter. It looks like she's looks no like longer yeah. with LNS. I, I, I think if that's her choice or if that's their choice, I don't think we know. I, I think that's a shame. I think people should be allowed to make, make a mistake. Make a mistake? Yeah, I would if, say so. If we all... If we all expected, uh, this is the problem with Twitter. To get no forgiveness. Who would ever admit their mistakes? By the yeah. way, if they knew that admitting your mistake how, how was did, a death sentence. How did she amend it? Did she just go back and say alleged or something? Um, I think she. Well, let me go see if I can find it. But I think my she, recollection is that I'm only presenting what their side is now saying that she was trying to but, make. But it, she left the tweet up because she didn't want to change it, which I kind of respect that in a way. Because take, sometimes taking them down is even worse. I remember seeing it thinking, <clears throat> yeah, if it were clear that this is what they're saying and not what I'm saying, then she would have been fine. Exactly. Well, she did, though. She did correct that. She said, my tweet was misinterpreted. I went back and corrected the language. I'm not taking it down or deleting it specifically so people know there was no ill will or intention for defending um, I, one camp or the other. I don't have a problem with her correcting it. You know, wow, this, she does she does Big Ten Network games too, yeah, right? Sideline reporter. Mm -hmm. This is this is a small station. Is that still? And I'll tell you, these reporters are not very well compensated. I suspect that if you spend, uh, if you went back and looked at their staff list, it rotates every year as people come out of Michigan State or come from a smaller market. So this is a place where you should have an opportunity to maybe stub your toe. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a place where there's a guillotine hanging all the time, and if someone I, I mean, loosens their grip on the rope, you lose your head. I'll defend her, too, because she was tweeting all this as it was coming out pretty quick, so you're prone to making more mistakes. She had another tweet, too, that said, let me clarify this tweet. Mel Tucker's legal team claims she is lying about her yes, gaming habits. Yes, I, I think that's the one I saw yeah. where she attributes this it basically doesn't change the that. fact that he admitted to masturbating on a phone call with her. Then he had another one. I have posted our entire article, which is on our website, and added a, another tweet with it saying, they claim. So, you know, she made a mistake, I assume, by going too fast, which is the problem with Twitter. Well, and you're also in a competitive news market, right? You try and get yeah. it first, and mm -hmm. sometimes you make mistakes. So I, She's I, not on their homepage, Mike? I didn't see. I, didn't see I, I mean, I just looked. So uh, here's 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 what I would say. W what happened with Brenda Tracy? We're going to find out more whether this was abusive, uh, assaultive behavior. That's going to be determined. But enough people's careers have been ruined by by what Mel Tucker did. Um, whatever it was, I'm hoping that that this reporter isn't one of them. Um, you know, I'd never heard her name before, so I, I don't believe that she was some way out there wacko person who's saying crazy stuff. Um, that's, I don't know. But I do, I do think that Mel Tucker's lawyer is very smart in the way they're releasing this stuff. There are a lot of people who have questions about Brenda Tracy, and they are sort of dribbling out a little bit of fuel to keep that fire burning. And... Um, and I'm curious to see everything that they have because when you only provide a portion of a conversation, you know, you may not have the full context. I guess the same thing could be said of the way Brenda Tracy's team has put things out. I just wish that sure. everything that, that Mel Tucker's team had or has will be provided to the investigators so that they have the benefit well, yeah. of as complete a picture as possible because I don't want to see Mel Tucker get uh, – I'm going to use the word convicted, even though it's not a criminal proceeding, only on half of the evidence. And I also don't want to see him go out there and say, well, if they knew everything I knew, I'd have been found innocent. 
Well, give them what you have. Yeah. I, I mean, everybody was done being interviewed in January and he kept pushing it down, down the road, down the road, right? Trying to get it canceled. Um, then they decided to make a date for the hearing and he pushed it further back. I mean, those are his decisions. He could have gotten out in front of it. He didn't have to lie. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there's so much more to know about this um, that, Is uh, there? <laughs> well, I mean, if his lawyer says we have all this exculpatory evidence, let's see it. Let's get that in a form where we can see it as soon as possible, or at least let the finder of fact see it. Uh, it feels like there's a lot of games being played right now. Well, there absolutely is. C- certainly Mel, Mel, Tucker's, really uh, Mel Tucker's availability doesn't seem to be an issue, although well, he has sick. a medical condition, but we don't know what it is. Yeah. I mean, apparently it's not ED, but, um, you know, it would be good if someone could tell us a little bit more. I know I don't want to get in his private business, but... It apparently isn't his first time with the Family Medical Leave Act either. Well, if somebody's telling me right now that Mel Tucker's having trouble being as effective a witness as he can be and being as much assistance to his defense as possible because he's extremely depressed, I have no trouble believing that. And I don't think anybody would fault him because I would not want to be in his position. It just feels like uh, he was under a lot of pressure before, and that's just been multiplied by a thousand. Doesn't excuse anything that happened, but I'm just saying if he said, dude, I'm jacked up right now. I just, I can't, I can't make it. But I do hope Tell us. I hope the reporter wasn't fired over those tweets. I mean, that's, yeah, I, I, I it's a little uh, harsh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you, um, Amy, based on what I know, and I don't know every, 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 uh, Every detail of this, it seems like the punishment doesn't fit the crime, even if a crime has been committed by Audrey, and I don't really see, I don't know, it just, I don't know, I just, we're, we're, we're you know, and Obama has said this too, we, we, we can't, we can't sacrifice people based on a mistake they've made or dig deep into their past because they one, made one misstep and then ruin them. What kind of a society are we going to have? But, um, but yeah, so I hope that answers your question as a journalism professor. Oh, I will just tell you this. I tell my students all the time, be careful what you post because somebody's going to find it, especially if you cover politics and you're criticizing somebody, somebody's going to dig into your past and they're going to, they're going to dig it up and they're going to try and use it to undercut you. And I'll tell you, I've been in positions where somebody's tried to say, oh, well, you said this or you did this. And so whatever you have to say now isn't relevant. It happens, and people with money and power will read and find every single thing you've done and try and twist it. So, so. What were you going to say? More periods and fewer conjunctions? Is that what you were saying, Mark? I wasn't going to say anything. I was just going to say, How come you, were looking, how come you were looking at me like that? I was that? waiting for him to rap so I could just fire. I agree. <laughs> Since he mentioned him. Sorry. Anyway. What's going on? We Amy, done? Amy did want the MSUJ <laughs> school instructor's perspective. Um, Whoa. One more piece of feedback, and you can write to us at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. 
bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Your Wolverines are pretty good. I think they're really good. My buddy and I were in an argument about it, though. So. Yeah. No, oh, well, really no, in three weeks when they actually play someone, I'm like, well, I mean, you can no, see. No, you don't, you don't go You beat. can see their depth. You can yeah. see the way they block. You can see how. 52 to 10, even gets a, a, a middling team on, on the road. Is, it's, yeah, There's it's, a lot of things to like about them. I'll tell you what I like. The Michigan State women's volleyball team beat the Wolverines, and so did the Michigan State's women's soccer I team. No, I had no idea. You didn't? No. No. I guess that's it, great, I guess, though. I that makes you a chauvinist. You're non-revenue sports. Your Lions, by the way, were... Mike watched the game. Were not too bad. Did you know that? Considering they were missing some guys. Did you know Elric watched the game? Good for him. Of course he does. He always watches. I watched, <laughs> I watched some of it. I watched some of it. To kill time before my game, where, no, where we got yeah. we got creamed like I'm afraid my Spartans... You know, I actually have extra oh. tickets to the Spartans-Wolverines game, and I'm thinking of making an offer to listeners that if they want to come and tailgate with us and go to the game... I will uh, I will sell them some of these extra tickets, but I'm I'm going to have to charge Wolverines twice as much just because I don't want any more blue in that give them stadium away. That's that we're going to have. Give them away. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but it can't be a promotional thing. No, no, no. Just pass them out. to somebody. Yeah, that's what I do. I, 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 yeah, what a lovely way I work way really to hard. I, I going, buy Mark? stuff. I just give it away. No. 7.30 at night in East Lansing? No, thank you. I know. You. It's brutal. In, in October? Uh-uh. It's brutal. No way. I wish I had the Ravens game the next day. Uh, no way, man. Are you going to be there, Sean? I will. Okay. Are you going to be there? I will. I go all the time. In fact, I'm I'm taking a road trip with the Spartans in November. So uh, to where? Indiana. Oh. I'm going to wander Indiana. <laughs> but uh, all right. And if I didn't have uh, one of my daughters in a show this weekend, if I didn't, I might I might consider going to Rutgers and spend a little weekend in New Piscataway. York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's fun. <laughs> You'll like Bloomington, but I've go been eat to Bloomington. Chip- I really it, like it. Go eat at Shapiro's in Indy yeah, yeah, on the yeah. way down. Yeah, 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 yeah. The deli. All right. Well, what are we looking for, Cyrus? Yeah. I was going to ask what's on the Carlson Sean podcast, but I'm sure Cyrus is on the uh, Carlson Sean podcast. It's absolutely crackling with energy. It is <laughs> lions. God damn. Mm. Oh, you're talking about Lions? Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't yeah. see that coming. You, you didn't mention the Michigan State no, women's well, soccer? No, why wouldn't we want to talk about no, what people, people actually care about? Yeah, they want people to listen to the show. Yeah, no, why wouldn't we talk about what people are? I know, just tradition? Super I don't know. passionate about. Sort of Carlos and Sean. Okay, yeah, no. All right, well, I think, uh, I think uh, it's probably time for our friend Cyrus to um, lay it on the line and take <laughs> Can you dig us that? Can Podcaster. Now, the normal rules don't apply. How does it feel to know that everyone loves you? You're gonna be great, babe. Perfect insanity, man. 
Your job is to live the fantasy other people only dream about. Dream big. Live the life. ML Soul of Detroit. 